From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Despite all that is abnormal about the world we currently live in, there's something quite comforting about the return of college baseball in mid-February, right on schedule. The Gators enter the year with all kinds of juicy storylines, from the opening of the spectacular new Florida ballpark to the unanimous praise as the preseason top team in the nation. On today's show, baseball broadcaster Jeff Cardozo does a deep dive into the upcoming season and the weight of those lofty expectations with head coach Kevin O'Sullivan. Then, we'll chat with FloridaGators.com senior writer Chris Harry about the return to the court for hoops and how they intend to get back on the right side of the ledger following another long layoff and frustrating finish. But first, the Gators were rolling when their 2020 season was halted, and like everyone else, COVID has drastically changed what the 2021 team looks like as a result. As they prepare to open their brand new stadium with a visit from the hated Hurricanes, Jeff Cardozo caught up with Kevin O'Sullivan to talk about this year's squad and handling the adversity COVID consistently delivers. It's one of those things where it's, it's always changing, always trying to adapt you know, to new things and new challenges, but certainly you know, we're looking forward to getting back out on the field and, you know, and getting this thing started. Well, and I'm sure that's way for the uh, the players, too, because, you know, I remember back 20 years ago, like you get in that routine, you, you play your season, you go play in the Cape or summer ball or do something, and then you get back for the fall and you're, and you're ready to go. So you didn't get to experience all that. And these guys didn't get that normal grind of the 56 games plus, you know, being with you and you know, always getting 70 games in a season. So do you feel that that's made these guys even more hungrier to, to come back? Have you sensed that because it's been so long that they're just ready to get after it? I think initially in the fall, I think there was a, a sense of relief and excitement, you know, when we had fall practice. But I think this spring, since we've gotten back in January, things have kind of settled in. It seems a bit more normal. Well, as normal as I, I guess it could possibly be. Sure. Um, but uh, the players are excited. And, you know, obviously, I think the staff, you know, obviously feels the same way. Well, and excited is, is a great word, I think, for the for the stadium. And, you know, obviously, McKeithen didn't go out the right way because that's when COVID hit and don't really get to, to bring in the new Florida ballpark in the right way either with fans all over the place. But I, I'm sure that you've really enjoyed just getting in there. The, the players have enjoyed it. And the, the few fans that are going to get to be in there, this is really what it's for. It's for them. It's, a, it's just a masterpiece to watch a college baseball game. Well, it really is. I mean, it, it, it certainly provides everything, you know, for our players and staff you know, for us to be successful at the highest level. And, you know, I'm really anxious to get the fans in here to see it firsthand because it's really hard to explain, you know, in conversation how nice it is. And I, I think it's going to be um, eye-opening to to our fans. And we've been a little bit trying to be creative on the berms to try to let some more people in. And obviously in the outfield, we've got some chairs and, you know, some food trucks and that type of thing. But it really is. It, it's really special. And to be a part of a process like this from start to finish is really a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. 
Well, since you mentioned the outfield, I know that's one of the changes that I noticed, and I wonder for uh, for you guys down on the field and seeing how it plays, the, the gaps seem a lot bigger. So I know the ball probably travels different than uh, McKeith, and gosh, I wish I could come back and pitch and I won't give up as many home runs anymore. But um, <laughs> has has that played differently? Have you gotten to kind of know the wind patterns? I know we haven't seen a, a regular season game in there, but at least get some practice time in there. Well, yeah, it certainly plays bigger than McKeith, but it, it is fair, I think, in recruiting moving forward. It's going to be really important for us to be able to have some guys that can run in the outfield because obviously, you know, it's a lot bigger, you know, obviously than, than McKeithen. But, you know, I've checked the wind already first weekend. I think the wind's going to be blowing from left to right on Friday and Sunday and could be blowing in about eight or nine miles an hour from left field on Saturday. But, um, it's fair. And I, you know, I think, I think the distance obviously in the gaps is, is larger than McKeithen, but, it certainly plays very similar to what it would, you know, out in Omaha. Well, and you know, there's a, a little field to uh, to the right of that where you guys get to practice uh, on the infield, and it's, it's turf there. But probably more importantly, it's it's for the kids. So I'm sure Finns run around there trying to hit bombs there. I know they're going to try to utilize that space maybe during game day to to allow some families and stuff. So that, that's part of the ballpark as well. Yeah, it, that's been a really great addition for us practice wise, and I know marketing's got some really cool ideas, you know, for kids during the games out there, but. And initially, obviously, from from a practice standpoint, we can get a lot more done in a shorter amount of time and splitting the groups up, um, you know, with one group on the main field and one group on the turf field. But the other important thing to remember is, obviously, in order to win the SEC, you got to win the SEC East first. And we've got quite a few teams in the East that have turf, with, mm-hmm. you know, with Bandy and Tennessee and Kentucky and Missouri. Um, having turf, so it gives us an opportunity to practice on the turf field as well. Well, and Sully, for what people don't see, the the underneath aspect of it all, I know the the locker room's tremendous and and all the uh, the amenities down there, but now you get to get more into the uh, the modern world, and I think baseball has certainly gone into that with the analytics. And you guys have uh, great things down there with a pitching lab. You've got some cages underneath there that guys can see what their swing is and, and maybe experience different stuff. How much of that are, have you guys as a staff now started to to utilize? Because it seems like that's what Major League Baseball and certainly college baseball are, is moving towards. Well, certainly the game has changed in that aspect for sure. And we always talk about the players needing to have the ability to adapt. And that certainly goes for us as well as, as coaches. We, we've had the Yankees come up this fall and sit down with us and kind of explain, you know, the analytic part um, a little bit more. And I think a lot of the, the talk that we've had with different, you know, with different people is really identifying what's important and what's not and kind of sifting through all the information and focusing on, you know, the few things that are, you know, help a pitcher or a position player, you know, improve their game rather than, you know, taking in all the information and, and getting into a situation where, you know, their minds, you know, their minds might get clouded. Well, and, you know, obviously your mind didn't get clouded. I know you had a, a really big decision to make during that national title run and, and trying to bring Jackson in and, and try to finagle that situation. So I'm sure that's still going to play too. Obviously you're not going to lose the, the feel that you have for a game or when you're seeing a pitcher, you know, get tired or, or you just, you, you see something that you want to just change up. But, you know, it's just maybe more about like shifting now because a guy has a tendency to take the outside pitch and, and always hit at the right field or, or vice versa. That's, that's more of what we're talking about, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think sometimes players can get caught up in their mechanics. And obviously that's, that's a part of development. But the other part is the mental aspect. And sometimes less is more. And, you know, and obviously with the analytics, it certainly provides a lot more information, but you certainly, like I said, you don't want to, you know, cloud their minds and, you know, and obviously that get in the way of them performing. We're talking to Kevin O'Sullivan, 
and he is the head coach of the number one ranked team in the entire country, unanimous number one. So, Sully, I know that's the expectation. I know when you go recruit guys, you say, hey, listen, we're going to make the goal of winning the SEC, like you said, but getting to Omaha. We want to get there and, and win a national title. So I know these guys are used to that expectation. Does it have to be talked about anymore when, when you go about it? Or, you know, obviously those guys are reading papers and magazines and looking on the Internet and Twitter and all that stuff. But what's been that approach trying to go into this thing? Well, you certainly can't control what other people say or write, but we've had quite a few talks over the last week or so about, you know, really stressing the importance of us controlling what we can control and certainly the, the sense of entitlement or we, if we get to a point where we think we're, we're just going to be given the opportunity to win an SEC championship or go to Omaha, it's just, it's just not reality. And, you know, we, we've talked about the social media aspect and kind of slowing that down and getting back to business and, you know, we've got a lot of work to do. We're certainly not a finished product. And, you know, the preseason polls are, are what they are. They don't mean anything. And, you know, we've got some some challenges ahead, um, just like everybody else. Um, there's going to be situations during the season where we're going to have some players, unfortunately, probably, you know, come down with COVID. And, you know, we've got the you know contact tracing aspect of this. And, you know, you can go into a weekend with your team not looking, you know, not looking like it did, you know, for the first game of the year. So mm-hmm. we've got a lot of challenges ahead of us. And, we certainly are doing the best we can at this point to downplay the expectations of what other people are saying because, you know, we talk about the 2012 team that was unanimous number one and we went to Omaha and we were two and out. So we certainly that, you know, we certainly learned a lot from that season. Um, but we certainly are trying to instill, uh, at least the best that we possibly can that, you know, we're going to have to go out there and play to the best of our ability if we want to be successful. Yeah, and, and COVID certainly on the mind of, of everybody. And I think that's when you look at your group and you say, wow, there, there's a lot of depth there. So I think that's cer- certainly going to help. So, and, and when we saw it last year, I don't think you use the same lineup in, in the 16, 17 games that were played last year. Do we sort of see that same approach this year, trying to find that, that right nine, that, that right mix before conference play starts? I would say yes. I, I think we've got probably maybe even a little bit more depth potentially than we had last year but I think you'll probably see something very similar as the season goes on that we will try different things move some players around and try to get this team figured out the best we can before conference play starts well one of the uh, the, the hardest jobs for uh, for Sully and the rest of the staff is trying to figure out the draft for for those that don't know baseball is, is very quirky you can get drafted and you can make that decision to, to come to school not come to school and I know Sully you've spent a a lot of long nights trying to figure out, hey, is this guy coming or, or is this guy going and, and to sort through all that. And then, of course, COVID hits and it's a shortened draft, just the five rounds. So it's almost like you get two like number one draft picks as, as Tommy and, and Jack both come back to kind of solidify that rotation. When, when you look back at that and that process and just to, to know that two guys that, that have been established, they've pitched in Omaha and they're going to now be a part of this team again, how excited were you to, uh, to get them back? Well, it was unexpected and obviously huge for our program to get those two guys back. And, you know, last year was different, but I'll say this, Jeff, you know, we, we meet every day and we talk about the draft, you know, five, six months out and try to prepare, you know, for the worst. If we lose this guy or we lose this recruit or this recruit, you know, what's our plan B? And, you know, that's constantly, that's, it's, it's always a discussion that we have as staff, you know, as a staff, so we don't get caught behind if the draft does not work out in our favor. But, you know, the other thing I'll say is, you know, every team, in, you know, in the country was benefited, you know, or has benefited from, from the shortened draft last year. So sure. I would say that this is probably going to be the most challenging year that we've had in the 14 years. 
I think college baseball is going to have a lot more older players. You know, we're, we're looking at some lineups. We were looking at Sanford the other day and we play them the second weekend and their lineup is loaded with, with seniors and older players. So that's going to be another challenge as well. Yeah. And, you know, there's some JUCOs that folded. So a lot of teams get those JUCO kids to come in and you got that veteran presence. So I think you're exactly right. It's going to be uh, very, very difficult to, to navigate through all this. So when, when you look at now Tommy and Jack and, those guys coming back, what have they added? I, I know you've worked really hard during this offseason. I know they want to prove something to, to the next level as well and certainly finish things off the right way here at Florida. But what are, what are some of the things that those guys added to the, to the repertoire this year? Well, first of all, they, you know, I would say this about a, a bunch of our guys. They worked extremely hard mm-hmm. in the fall, and a lot of guys have changed their bodies. And over the break, I was really, really pleased with, with the amount of work that, that a lot of these guys put in you know, not just their throwing program, but, but with their bodies. But, you know, so, so they look in, you know, like in really good shape right now. And their fastballs are a little bit better. I think individually, I think Tommy has really taken a step forward with his, with his curveball, which gives him a little bit more separation in his pitches velocity wise. And, and Jack's got his change up back, you know, kind of came and went last year, you know, from outing to outing, but it looks a lot more consistent right now. And his, his, his breaker ball looks really good as well. And then, uh, you know, the third guy, not too shabby either, and, and Hunter Barco, a lot of Gator fans remember him uh, going down to Miami and Coral Gables, the, the opponent this weekend, to, uh, to to do what he did. And then the, the few other times that he got out there, he's going to be certainly something special. But, you know, Sully, it's just it, it, there's a wide variety of arms. I know you got new guys coming in, certainly the, the guys in different roles now, and they're older. So just talk about the, the rest of that pitching staff and kind of the expectations on uh, how you're going to uh, figure them all out. Well, I mean, I, from a right-handed standpoint, you know, you've got Ben Speck back and Christian Scott looked outstanding the last time out. So those guys are obviously, and Franco Alamon, uh, he's, he's a name you're going to hear a lot of, especially early on. The JC transfer obviously came in, um, in the fall, but you know, then we got a kid named Chase Santala who's been throwing the ball very, very well, a freshman from Tampa. Of course, you got Tyler Nesbitt back and Brandon Sproke, who's got arguably the best arm on our staff. And we had Garrett Milton out, out on the mound the other day uh, for the first time in a couple of years, and he looked good. So we'll probably, you know, try to take our time with him a little bit, but he certainly will will add to the depth on the right-handed side. And you know, you alluded to uh, Hunter Barco, and he's looked really good. And you know, I think one of the things that we've been able to do over the years, which has really helped us win SEC championships, is our third starter has, in, in many of the years we've been successful, has been just better than the other team's third starter. Mm-hmm. And obviously the goal is to win a series. So if you split the first two, and but, but you have the advantage on the mound game three, that certainly puts you in a pretty good position to win the weekend. Um, Ryan Kabarkas has been looking really good. I talk to our hitters all the time about some of the tougher pitchers to face and He's got a different look, and he's been throwing the ball really well. Timmy Manning's a freshman that we're really high on who can really spin the ball. Um, Jordan Butler's been looking a lot more consistent than, than maybe last year. And then, obviously, we got Vanderweed, who's an older uh, grad transfer that has been throwing the ball good. So I think from a left-handed standpoint, we probably have a little bit more depth than we have, you know, certainly in the last couple of years. Yeah, and, and certainly a good thing. And, and since you mentioned Butler, and that's a transition over to hitting because he's done that. I know in, in the fall he was hitting pretty well and got some really quality at bats in the uh, the minimal schedule last year. But you you look at these hitters, Sully, and you know, obviously you, you go one through nine. And, you know, I think in years past you would probably say it, you know, there might have been a hole in 
eight or nine or seven or somewhere in there. But it seems like one through nine, when you have an opportunity to, to do this thing right, there, there's not many outs in that lineup. Well, I think we got some depth uh, offensively, and I think that's probably the one area that probably maybe separates this team from maybe some others is offensively we've got a chance to be pretty good one through nine. You know, obviously starting in the outfield, Jacob Young has looked really good, and he's running the bases aggressively, and obviously we got Judd in center, and um, who's who's off to a really good start this spring, and we've got some other guys that are, you know, they're looking for some playing time out in right field. You know, you got Kendrick Spackford's junior year, um, who's, who always gives quality at bats, and, you know, we're really high on this freshman named Sterling Thompson. I really think he's got a chance to really, really hit. Um, so he's going to find some time, and then you know, working our way through the infield, you got Kirby back at third, and we're really, really high on and Colby Halter, mm-hmm. kid from Jacksonville, as a freshman, and he's been doing really well, so he'll get some time. Obviously, Josh Rivera back at short and for his sophomore year, and then really high on another freshman from Miami named Jordan Carey, and he might be the best defensive um, infielder that we've had here, um, at least coming in as a freshman, and he's been swinging the bat surprisingly really, really well. And back at second, you know, obviously, you got Corey Acton. And, and I will say this, that a lot of these infielders that I just mentioned have the ability to move around between third, short, and second. So we've got some flexibility and some versatility there. And then at first base, you've got, you know, you've got Chris Armstrong, who, um, who's going to have to be given an opportunity because if he can, if he can figure out the bat, then obviously he, he has a whole nother different dimension to our lineup. Obviously Kendrick can play some first base and, and, and so can Jordan Butler. So. Um, we feel like we got some depth there at first and, and then working our way back down behind the plate. Nathan Hickey's back for his sophomore year. Looks like he'll hit right in the middle of the lineup. You know, another freshman we're really high on is Matt Cassetti and he might be our best defensive catcher and he can really hit. So he's going to get some time. So they'll split some time behind the plate. And then you got Cal back, um, as well as give us some depth and, Another freshman that we're high on too is Wyatt Langford. He's a big physical right-handed hitter that can catch, can play some first, can play some third. So we feel like we've got some depth behind the plate as well. Yeah, a lot of guys, Gator fans, to uh, to sit there and, and admire and, and watch. And you know, Sully's obviously going to have a, throw them all out there, and, and we'll see how they can do. And you mentioned uh, Chris Armstrong. I know uh, in, in the fall, getting to the new stadium, he already put a dent in the scoreboard they had they had to fix. So he, uh, he's he got some pop, and that ball carried uh, when, when he broke that scoreboard out there. Yeah, well, we had an inner squad a couple of days ago, and he hit a ball left-handed that, that hit the 400 sign on the line. I think the exit <laughs> velocity off the barrel was 117, and I've never seen anything like that before. And then, then he turns around right-handed and hits a home run uh, to left field. So, wow. um, like I said, he, he's got a chance to really hit. Um, obviously he hasn't had the opportunity to play day in and day out, but we certainly will have to give him an opportunity because like I said, if he can figure this thing out, then, then he's got a chance to, to provide, you know, some power in that lineup that, you know, which is obviously hard to come by. Well, and, and since we kind of glazed over Judd real quick, we'll just, just want to go back to him because he's got a chance to be the, the number one player in the country taken. And I mean, that's, uh, that, that doesn't happen. And I know there's a lot of expectations on him too, but it, it seems like that's not bothering him. He, he's going out, he's doing his thing. He's ready to work really, really hard. And, you know, I, I think going into this, he, he feels like he can, uh, he can do that and play really well for you. Well, I really hope so. And, and obviously, there's, when, you, when you go into your junior year with expectations like this, it, it, it is a bit of a challenge. Uh, and, you know, I don't care how good of makeup you have or how tough you are mentally, there will be some ups and downs. But, you know, the thing that I keep reminding people is he really age-wise should be a college sophomore. Mm-hmm. So when, when you take that into account, he's obviously done remarkable things to get himself, you know, obviously into this position right now. Well, Kevin O'Sullivan squad, uh 
10 first-round picks over the last nine years. That's what Sully has been uh, able to do and getting these guys to the next level. And you know, Certainly, uh, Sully, it's going to be a fun year, a strange year. I know uh, without the fans, uh, or at least a lot of them, it's, it's going to be different. You've got a lot of hurdles and obstacles to to try to get with uh, with on the road. And you know, we'll, we'll see how you manage it all. And guess what? It's it's not easy. There's no uh, cupcake coming into town this weekend. You've got the Hurricanes. We, we know the history with them. You know, me personally, I don't like those guys, and I know there's many uh, guys out there that, that probably don't either, but it, it, it's going to be a heck of a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at, uh, at the new ballpark this weekend. Well, it will be, and, you know, I was just, you know, grateful that Miami uh, was willing to, to rearrange their schedule and come up on the first weekend because usually we play them, you know, the third weekend of the year. So it's certainly going to be a challenge. They get, you know, majority of their lineup back. They got two really talented uh freshman arms they got to school and they get a kid named Palmquist who's really good out of the pen left-handed and kind of you know presents us with a different angle it's a little bit of a low three-quarter angle so you know we're gonna it's not gonna be easy but certainly the regardless of the outcome of the weekend it'll give us a starting point of where we're at show us maybe some good things there'll be some other things that are going to be glaring that we're going to have to improve upon but Certainly, you know, playing Miami opening weekend um, is great for you know for both programs and certainly for our fans. Well, and uh, the fans that get to be in the ballpark this year will certainly love watching this group of Gators. Sully, thank you for the time. Looking forward to uh, to getting out there. It's going to try to do this fifty six regular season games and and see what happens after that. But uh, looking forward to each and every one of them. All right, thanks, Jeff. I look forward to seeing you. After another unexpected interruption to their season due to COVID, men's basketball got back to work on Tuesday night at Arkansas, with the deep freeze in Fayetteville seemingly translating to their play on the court. But as Chris Harry explained in this week's roundtable, it wasn't a huge surprise given the latest circumstances. Basically had to shut things down. They were doing some individual workouts and stuff like that, but uh, you know, games were canceled um, because Florida didn't have the SEC mandated seven players, uh, be it healthy or non-contact trace or non-COVID players. It was late last week when they were actually able to do three-on-three and four-on-four practices. And it wasn't until Monday, uh, the day before the game and the, before their, their flight from Gainesville went to Fayetteville, that they had their first practice with a full complement of players, including Colin Castleton. And it, it kind of looked like they hadn't practiced together for a while for the first half. And then they started playing a lot better. And you said Arkansas is a different team than South Carolina. Our, uh, that's true, of course, but Arkansas is a much better team than South mm-hmm. Carolina. They're the second or third best team in, in, in the conference, probably the second best team right now in the conference. It's hard to win four conference games in a row in this league, much less seven conference games in a row. And that is to their credit, obviously. They are a really, really well-balanced team. They're, I think they're top 25 adamant offense, defense, and tempo. I mean, that shows that they that they have a plan and they know what they're doing. They were an older team. They got a bunch of uh, transfers. I think they have seven transfers on the team. Wow. Um, that's the business model that Eric Musselman brought with him from Nevada, where he had nine, I think, on that in-state tournament that's team right. played Florida. But one of those players is Moses Moody, who's not a transfer. He's a freshman. He's going to be a first-team all-freshman player, and he probably would have been – he'd probably be the SEC freshman of the year were it not for Cam Thomas at LSU. And Florida holds Moody, who's their leading scorer. He's hold, they hold him to 14 points. 
Six of those points came on free throws. He was three of 14 from the floor, two of seven from the free throw line in 37 minutes. They, they forced him into three turnovers, and yet they still lose the game. I mean, they did a good job on the best player, on Arkansas's best player. Where they didn't do a good job, Adam, is ball security again. I mean, 16 turnovers. Tyree Appleby had seven. He had some, some bad plays dribbling into traffic. I think Florida was guilty in that game. A poor ball movement. Uh, they, there was a little too much dribbling going on. It looked a little bit like it looked. They just looked out of sync. It looked a little bit like uh, like last year's uh, uh, basketball team a little bit in terms of uh, Trey Mann or Tyree Appleby, depending on who was who was handling the ball on a possession. You know, it looked like they dribbled too much. But uh, uh, to their you know, fell down by 15 early, came back and put themselves in position to win the game. They're up by one. The only time they led the whole game, they take a lead on a nice Appleby little floater. I think uh, with four and a half minutes left to go, and didn't score and didn't score another basket. That goes back to your point that you made about the South Carolina game. South Carolina outscored Florida 13 to one over the last six minutes. One held Florida to one field goal. Arkansas scores Florida 14 to two. Over the last, I think it was 440, you know, uh, no field goals, just two free throws from Trey Mann. I mean, that's not – that's, you know, two things, okay? You don't want to fall behind by 15 points on the road to anybody, much less a, a, a really good team, because if you have any chance to come back, you're going to exert a whole lot of energy, and how much do you have to finish the game? Well, that was that was probably the issue with Florida. But uh, the second thing, obviously, is if, if you do come back – you certainly don't want to go the last, uh, right. the last, uh, uh, what was, I think they were outscored eight, nothing in the last minute. They had three turnovers in the last minute and a half. Let's miss their last six shots. Um, so, you know, you, you're only as good as your last game or only as bad as your last game. And the last two games Florida has played, they have had a uh, very, very poor closeouts and it has cost them dearly. And now, you know, you're talking about a team that was riding a four-game winning streak, felt great after that West Virginia game. Well, now they've lost two straight games. Lost to South Carolina, not a great team uh, at home. Now they've lost to Arkansas on the road, and now they're facing the prospects. They, they, you know, they have to beat Georgia this weekend at home. They already beat Georgia on the road. And yet Georgia <laughs> is, a, is a team that erased a double-digit deficit against Missouri, a ranked team, and, uh, and beat them by double-digits. So – that was a 20-plus point switch in that game. And Florida's going to have to deal with a Georgia team that's going to be confident, and it's uh, and, and they're, they're, they're better than they were a month ago. Meanwhile, Florida has some issues to deal with. The terms. Like I said, Applebee's got to take better care of the ball. You know, I, I, I look at it. I mean, it was a, a, a one-possession game with a minute left. I'm looking at Trey Mann's numbers right here, Adam. I mean, he's three for 11, and he's one for six from three. Uh, Tyree Applebee's one for seven from three. Uh, Noah Locks one for five from three. What is that? Three for nineteen. I mean, you're you're not going to beat a team like Arkansas when your three best three point shooters are playing that way. And I got another one that's pretty that kind of jumps out at you, but you really got to comb through the stats. I mean, I'm looking at Scotty Lewis. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. he has four points last night. He plays 15 minutes and he fouls out. In the time he was in the game, he had three. Re- he had four points, three rebounds, three steals. They're so much better when he's in the game to play defense on the perimeter. But I look at – he had four points in that game. He had two points against uh, Alabama in a loss. He had two points uh, uh, against um, Kentucky and was in foul trouble in that loss. Uh, he was in foul trouble in, against South Carolina and scored – I think he scored one point in that game. They need Scotty Lewis to quit fouling, and they need Scotty Lewis to be on the court for them to be their best version of themselves. And whatever it takes to get him to do that, 
I know the coaching staff is frustrated with it because, I mean, in South Carolina, he got two fouls within three seconds of each other uh, uh, in that game. I believe it was early in the second half. That's not the best recipe for Florida to to be their best team. Mm-hmm. Um, he's too good, and his basketball IQ is better than that to be- make a bunch of unnecessary fouls. Florida's had some they, you know, they talk all the time during practice about showing your hands, about moving your feet, and all these all these things. And and he is an elite defensive player um, who just makes uh, uh, some some bad, sloppy defensive uh, fundamental mistakes. And when he does that, it's costly because he ends up watching the game from the sidelines, and uh, he just has to stop doing that. And and they, and, and they got to figure out a way to get that through to him. You know, a, a natural question uh, that was posed to Mike White after the game, and I think Colin Caston was also asked the same question. It's totally understandable that from the outside, you would think, oh, how much are you being affected by these COVID gaps in the season, right? I mean, there's multiple times now that Florida has had two-week breaks in its schedule that are very unnatural. Now, to their credit, they did not use that as an excuse, said that can't be part of it. But that's why we have you, Chris, to tell us the truth. To what degree do you think Florida's struggles, when they pop up, are a result of this very weird, inconsistent schedule that they've tried to to navigate? Well, I mean, I think I I, I tweeted something out at halftime saying something about the sluggishness, I mean, it, would, it wouldn't surprise me that that had something to do with it. Of course, I got bombarded with comments about making excuses for them, terrible, uh, blah, 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 whatever. But And some, I think one person pointed out to me that every coach is dealing with COVID. Well, Arkansas is not dealing with COVID right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Arkansas wasn't practicing three-on-three three and four-on-four four last week. You know, our, our, Arkansas wasn't probably without their best player at, at, or one of their three best players at, at, at practice up until the day before the game. Um, I, I don't see how it can't affect you. But to this same person's point, yes, is everyone dealing with the threat of COVID and doing things differently? Yes, absolutely. Everybody has to deal with that. And Florida – Florida's been hit with uh, with that twice, like like you pointed out, a 15 day pause before, a, a, a six seven day pause this time, and uh, they've dealt with the with the loss of their best player. So Mike White talks about this team dealing with adversity, and no no team has had to deal with the kind of adversity they had. And and I think when you factor in Keont- the Keontae Johnson situation, that's that's an accurate statement, but. To the, also to their credit, they said, you know, we're, we're not going to sit here and make excuses or downgrade what Arkansas was able to do to win the game. Well, the players on the floor, I mean, Tyree Appleby turned the ball over seven times. Uh, you know, cut those in half, and, we're, you know, maybe this is a different conversation we're having. Uh, you know, Trey Mann's uh, – those three guys I named, Locke, Mann, and, and Appleby, are better than three for 19 from the three-point line. Granted, it's a road game. Uh, it's you know, strange circumstances. You leave 70-degree weather. You're all of a sudden minus one. Yeah. You're walking around. I mean, people say, oh, but the game's played. The game's not played outside, Chris. Okay, fine. I understand that. But, you know, <laughs> there's a reason road games are harder. Right. You know? and, and, and Just ask the Chiefs, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and can we please just at some point just give credit – to another team being good. Arkansas is a good basketball team. Uh, you know, they've won seven straight games in the league, and they're, they're, they score a lot of points. Florida defensively wasn't terrible by any stretch of the imagination. Arkansas, I think, was average in the mid-80s, I think, game. Florida held them 10 below that. But, you know, when when you're the Gators, you're, you you lead the SEC in, in field goal percentage at, at, I think it was 47.7% going in that game. At one point, you missed 15 of 16 shots in the first half. 
uh, you know, you, you've missed 11 straight. You shoot 37.7 for the game on the road. You're not going to win. Okay. Mm. Even though they made it, they, they made a game out in the second half. I think they shot 48% in the second half. They're one for seven from three in the second. half. made all nine of their free throws. Uh, pretty good uh, showing on the glass at some point, but ultimately uh, I think the turnover number in the second half was 12. Probably not going to win a game, even especially one that to their credit, they were able to, they were able to make close, but uh, that's just, that's just too many giveaways. And, couple of those things, those pick sixes, you're playing a game like Arkansas, which is a transition team, likes to play fast. Uh, that one uh, turnover by Scotty after Florida had taken the lead, they're up one, they have the ball, they have a chance to maybe increase the lead. That's an ill-advised pass in the middle of the floor, late, guy picks it off, goes in for a layup, Arkansas goes on to win the game from there, uh, never trailed again. So those are mistakes they'll look at, they'll study, you know, you got to cut back on them, but live and learn, and, and you have to deal with the results of them. You know, now now you're looking at a Georgia team, like I said, playing better, uh, more confident. Um, Florida's at home. You need you know you need to win the game to get back, uh, get your mojo back, and start building on that. Start looking ahead of post. It's, it's certainly not too late. There's uh there's several games to go. The schedule the schedule's not particularly easy. Got to play at Kentucky. Got to play at Auburn. They got Missouri coming in, and I know Missouri is 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 struggling. That'll be the the last regular season game of the year. But, uh, you know, there, there's still time. Florida right now, if you – I always criticize people who say, the season ended now, and it never <laughs> does when they say that, right. uh, obviously. But, uh, uh, you know, they're, they're, in a, they're in a decent position. They're just not in, the, in, in, in a position that, that they have any uh, reason to be comfortable with, whereas Arkansas is a team that does. And uh, that's, a, that, that's a good basketball team. And Arkansas, all of a sudden, a situation with Alabama, they get Alabama again. They, they, they can look up above them a little bit and say, yeah, we – we still got a chance to maybe catch them, but uh, uh, the SEC is jumbled up in the middle. Mm-hmm. Florida right now is alone in fifth place. Lose again, and all of a sudden you're you're in eighth or ninth place. So uh, they got work to do, but they certainly have the have the capability of turning things around. We've seen we've seen what they look like at their best. They got to rediscover that somehow. And the best thing they could do is uh, is get back to work and don't have any more positive tests for God's sake. So they so they can spend some more time in the gym and work on some stuff. At the moment, uh, Florida is a seven seed, according to Joe Lenardi in Bracketology, um, which is pretty good, all things considered. That's that's as of the uh, as of the Arkansas loss. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, again, in a position to still make the tournament, but you know, as you noted, the season isn't over today. There's still more work to do. Um, Something you mentioned along the way there is you were kind of recounting the gaps Florida's had. One of those, obviously, is a result of the the situation with Keontae Johnson. Um, and he has mostly been, been silent since that happened outside of a few statements put out by his family. We saw him post a video last week as well. Uh, but you had a chance to actually speak with him at length. And you, I think you're the first person to do that. So, uh, you know, what was it like talking to him? What it what stood out to you from your conversation with him, especially based on the Keontae that you know from the the baseline of what he was before? Yeah, and I was able um, back when Keontae was in the hospital, I did go in and and visit with with he and his parents. Uh, so I so so I saw him not long after this. All I would say it was probably a week, uh, maybe six days after it happened. I think. Um, but I mean, I Keontae to me is a is a really good example of someone who has really kind of uh, found himself uh, over the course of of his college career because he was he wasn't as 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 confident and as outgoing and stuff as a as a freshman as I as I see him now and uh, my sit down with him um, uh, you know I obviously I talked to him because I'm around the team 
Mm-hmm. So, but, but I mean, we had talked to, let's do this. Let's do the one. When do you want to do this? And the, the family needed to be comfortable with it. And they also wanted to make sure that this wasn't a thing where we were going to talk about his medical condition. Cause there's, there, there's things are just not ready. You know, stuff that they, that they want to keep private relative to that. Mm. But what's, what struck me is, 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 his mature outlook on the fact that, that he's still around and the, the gift that he has of, and, and the way things played out. Um, uh, if people, anybody saw the, the story may have seen a passing reference when Kalant- when Keontae collapsed, there just, there just happened to be a doctor, a cardiologist who attended the game. She had happened to be sitting courtside hmm. and ran out and helped with the, and, and who knows what would happen if, if, if she's not there. Uh, I think we'll find out more about that down the line at, at at some point. But being able to reflect on on the fact that he's still here, he was very sad, obviously, when he was told that uh, he wasn't going to be able to play this year because obviously he held out hopes. Um, mm-hmm. There's some questions, of course, uh, as to as to what lies ahead relative to tests, uh, medical wise, and what have you. But he he has intent to to play. He's hopeful that he will one day play again. Uh, where that is, that's something that's a long way from being determined. He's, it won't be until the summer until he's allowed to even um, resume any kind of what you would consider strenuous uh, uh, basketball activities, actual ones where he's moving around on the court. He's allowed to stationary shoot and what have you. But before he's able to get out and you know set cones up on the court and start doing catch-and-shoot stuff and drives to the basket – you're talking about EKGs and MRIs and stress tests and what have you. There's just a, a lot out there before there's any kind of, before a doctor is going to say, yes, you're okay to play. There are a lot of questions need to be answered. A lot of boxes need to be checked. And it's not just him that has to hear it. His parents have to hear it too uh, before they, they sign off on that. Yes, he's a grown man and ultimately it will be his decision, but he's very close to his family and they, it'll be a family oriented decision when that time comes uh, if and when he does go back to play. But as I said, and as he said, his goal is to play again. He wants to play. He's hopeful he can play. And think a lot of people have positive vibes being sent his way uh, to make that happen. And if you haven't seen that story, make sure to check it out on FloridaGators.com. The full Q&A with Chris and Keontae is up there now. Um, I want to move on to our PAT for this week. And I've been really fascinated by the, the debate over the NBA All-Star Game, Chris, which... Um, there's a million reasons why you could not play that. And I don't think anybody would argue with it. Um, They're going ahead with this and they're going to have it in an empty arena in Atlanta. And the players are not happy. They think this goes against basically everything the NBA claims that they care about in terms of health and safety and not taking unnecessary risks and that it's all about the money. On the flip side of that, I'm trying to look at this from the NBA's perspective. This is still a business that they're running. And they're losing, I've read, roughly 40% of revenue by not having fans at games. And the All-Star Game does generate revenue. And this is a time where the league is is trying to, you know, continue running its operation with a lot of challenges in place. I, I even saw the NHL claimed, Gary Bettman said, uh, I don't know if I believe this or not, that the NHL actually is losing more money by playing games than if they didn't play. Um, so, you know, it comes down to, again, a lot of these debates in sports, what's the right thing to do? Is this about money? If it is, is it okay that it's about money? Cause we're talking about professional sports here. I'm just curious what, where you come down on trying to play an all-star game under these circumstances, especially if the players are seemingly not on board at all. And the players opt out. Do we know if they, I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not sure if they can. 
mean, I've never been, I've never heard of an all-star game where you couldn't, you know, if a team, if a player is like a little bit hurt or something like that, they, you know, I, I wouldn't know why you played an all-star game. I know that, I know that happens quite often, but in this case, are they going to be fined if they don't play? I, I think it's silly. You know, why, why are you playing an all-star game in this situation? I know the guys are out there playing every night or whatever, but I mean, it's, 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 it, to me, it seems like it's an unnecessary game. Um, is it a business? Of course it is. Does this mean they're going to have uh, the, the the skills competition and the dunk contest? And uh, are they going to do the All Star Weekend uh, with no fans? I think they're still try. I think they're still trying to do three point shootout and dunk uh-huh. contest. I think they're trying to do those. I I did just look this up. I'm, I hope this is accurate. Um, players will be able to opt out in the same way they could opt out of the bubble. Mm-hmm. That that's what I'm reading here online. I'm not sure if that's changed at all. But just to to address that point. Okay, well, if, if that's the case, I would imagine it's not going to be a true All Star game eventually, because they're they're, they're going to be they're going to be some pretty good players uh, who are probably going to uh, uh, opt out of that. Now, remember, All Star game weekend is also a, a party time, right? I mean, it right. always has been for these right. guys, and they make it they make it. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot going on socially, and yet for a situation like this. You want to roll into Atlanta where you, where you're not going to parties, or, or if you are, you're you're just inviting somebody to, to take a cell phone picture of you without a mask on or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I yes, I understand that you're trying to make up for lost revenue, and go, but we can talk and talk and talk about that all the time. It still doesn't make it a normal season mm-hmm. until we're back to it, uh, and even until we approach normalcy. You can't look at it as a normal thing. I, I just don't I don't see a reason why you should have that. I mean, we were talking about this earlier. NFL had a virtual all-star game. I, I mean, I, I, I guess that's okay. I mean, I, I don't know who. The real thing is I, bad I, enough. I, yeah. I don't know. Yes, I, I don't know. Who, I always the Pro Bowl is ridiculous because who wants to get their brains beat in or pounded on uh, an, an extra time for no reason? I mean, mm-hmm. they, they, didn't do, they didn't do an all-star game. Baseball didn't have an all-star game, right? Well, yeah. I mean, at the time, there was, you know, the season wasn't even going on. So That's yeah, right. That, I mean, that but, but they didn't have one anyway, right? When they had their little 60-game season, they no, didn't interrupt no, they didn't. to have it. No, no, right? they did not. Right? Um, I think it's unnecessary. Um, I understand the player's standpoint. Uh, the players are always fighting for more for more voice and, and things like that. And it just, it, it, just seems, it just seems unnecessary to me to fly a bunch of guys into this place for what's supposed to be a fan event with no mm-hmm. fans. And – uh, people going to watch it. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm mildly interested in, in NBA all-star week. I mean, just to not like I used to be, I don't think because I, you know, it's usually like 180 to 175 now. Yeah. No one has any interest in, in guarding right. anybody in that game. So you know, maybe they could just straight social distancing rules during the game. <laughs> they kind of, they kind of do that anyway in the all-star game. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> maybe they play three on three or something like that. Uh, yeah. Full, full court three on three or what have you. But um, long, long winded answer to get me to the same place is uh, I don't think they should be playing and, I'm sorry if the owner, if that's another hit in the owner's uh, pocketbook, but a lot of people are suffering financially, and uh, I, I, I don't have a lot of sympathy for that. I'm sorry. No, I think that's it's a very fair point. That's where most people are falling. Is it's a fan event. If you can't have fans there, and it's just opening people up to more possible risk, then just doesn't seem like it's the right time to, to push that through, especially with the players so vocally 
speaking out against why they don't think it's appropriate and why they feel it's, you know, it's just not the right thing at this time. So I would agree with you on that. Uh, Well, we already told you about Chris's interview with Keontae Johnson. That is up now on FloridaGators.com. And there will be more content over the next week as Florida hopefully continues playing basketball games without any more COVID pauses. Uh, So be sure to check that out. And you can follow Chris on Twitter for it as well, at GatorsChris. Chris, thank you. We'll talk to you next week. All right, Adam. Thank you. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Stay up to date on everything going on with the orange and blue at FloridaGators.com, and we'll be back next Thursday with an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Please stay safe and go Gators.